And so I started to like think about my feelings and I was like, no, I guess this love that I share for my best friend that I've always thought was just like how you love your best friend. Maybe it's because I'm, I actually love my best friend and like be with my best friend. And so I spent two weeks going to every church in the city that was experiencing a revival. And I would go to the altar and I would pray that God would take that away. And after two weeks, I vividly remember this last day. And I had cried my eyes out for like two weeks, almost every night at these different churches, thinking that because this was a revival and the spirit of God was supposed to physically be there, that he had, he wasn't listening and he wasn't taking it away. And I was like, I, I can't commit my life to a God and a religion that's going to make me feel like I'm broken or wrong. And I refuse to not be myself. So I said goodbye to God and I walked out of that church and then I came out of the closet with flying colors and I never looked back. Welcome to Normalizing Non-Monogamy, the podcast where we interview incredible people from across the entire spectrum of non-monogamy to hear their fascinating stories. We strive to bring guests on the show who have a healthy approach to non-monogamy. However, it's important to remember that everyone does it a little bit differently and the views and opinions expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect our own. Additionally, we produce this show for entertainment purposes only. Please be aware that we aren't doctors or therapists. Consult a medical professional for anything regarding your health that you might learn about on the show. Enjoy! Welcome to episode 183. We're Finn and Emma, and today we have a beautiful conversation with Philip. He's been exploring polyamory, solo polyamory, for about two years now, and we have a wonderful conversation about how he has shifted his mindset around relationships and sex, specifically over the last few years. Yeah, just kind of building on what Emma said, like, uh, as you'll hear, like, Philip grew up super conservative, came out as gay in uh, like high school, late high school, was kicked out of his house. And, like, so his whole, like, approach to how he's done everything has really just is beautiful. Yes. And we're really thankful that he came on the show to share. So thank you, Philip, uh, for reaching out to us, for coming on and being vulnerable. And... Uh, starting your own podcast. So he's just about to launch a podcast called Dear Polly. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be sort of a Q&A type podcast where he brings in guests who um, who are exploring polyamory or non-monogamy and answers questions from listeners uh, with them. So we're really excited about that. Um, it's launching soon. Information to how you can find uh, everything about his show is in our show notes um, at normalizingnonmonogamy.com. Click on the podcast tab or just scroll down in your podcast player and links will be there to take you to directly to the show notes. Yes. So you don't want to do that. Before you jump into the show, though, we do have a couple of quick announcements. First up is our next virtual meet and greet. It's going to be on Wednesday, June 23rd. Wednesday, June 23rd. I'm just going to say it twice to be clear. Um, from 9 to 11 Eastern. Uh, p.m. Eastern. And so we'd love to have you join us. It's only $10 to join. They're open to anyone. And uh, more information is on our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com, and click on the meet and greet tab. 
Also, we wanted to do a shout out really quickly to our Patreon community. Thank you so much to everyone who is part of that community. It keeps growing and we couldn't be more thrilled and honored to have all of you join the community. Uh, If you'd like to learn more, please go to our website again, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. Click on the Patreon button. And I just wanted to say a couple of quick dates coming up. We have a men's group call on June 7th, a women's group call on June 9th, the monthly Q&A on June 10th. So all of that information is on our website and we'll also talk a little bit more about patreon in the outro yeah and uh one last thing that we wanted to say as always reach out to us uh we'd love to hear from you we love to hear from everybody we get back to everybody and yeah it means a lot to us to hear how you think we're doing how you're doing if there's stuff going on i don't know we just we love hearing from you as a listener please don't Uh, hesitate to reach out and if you especially if you want to come on the show too we'd love to hear you from you so on our website there's ways to send us an email or a voicemail and just to follow up on one person who's maybe listening saying well i never got an email back that's because you put your email in wrong. <laughs> That's true. So this person reached out to us, actually had a very good point. Uh, it was about two weeks ago. Uh, we will call them Jitterbug because, well... That's the name they gave us, and we assume it's a pseudonym. <laughs> if it's not, sorry for outing you, Jitterbug. Anyway, uh, the point that they were um, concerned about was the use of the term vanilla yes. as regards to people who are not either typically swinging, but uh, non- exploring non-monogamy, a lot of times the, the term vanilla gets thrown around and they feel that it's sort of derogatory. And yeah. I guess we've sort of, I mean, we've felt the same way. We've really kind of backed away from using the term ourselves. We're not perfect about it. Sometimes when we're just uh, shooting the shit with friends or if we're in the deep in a conversation, sometimes it still slips out. However, it's something that we are aware of. It's not something we tend to use and we will continue to work on eliminating that from our vocabulary so yes th- thank you for pointing it out jitterbug we appreciate it and we agree with you exactly exactly what finn said so thank you again and also this is just a great example of like reaching out to us and giving us feedback so we can continue to make the show better so thank you we're constantly working to do that and we love hearing from all of you and yes we want to continue to get better and better and that's what we're gonna do yeah so thank you in advance to all of you listening who are going to send us emails with Uh, amazing feedback and uh yeah we look forward to those and let's head into the conversation with philip and we will see you on the other side let's go welcome philip we're excited to have you here we've just been chatting a little bit about your podcast that you're launching here soon and so we're excited to talk about that more later but we want to get to know you a little better you sent in an email not that long ago maybe what a month um and we made this happen pretty quick so Welcome. Welcome to the show. We're excited to have you here. Thank you. I'm actually really excited to be here. Uh, I listened to your show quite a bit um, when I was exploring the idea of uh, polyamory. Um, I was I was actually kind of forced into uh, a polyamory dynamic, and it was not something I ever thought that I would be in. So I was, um, but my relationship was incredibly valuable to me. So it wasn't it wasn't going to be a deal breaker. It was more like it was something I had to learn quickly. So I, I actually turned to podcasts in order to educate myself and understand how the dynamics work and how people make them work for their lives. And so I found your podcast and I actually really appreciate your work. So I'm excited to be on it. Awesome. Well, thank you for that. And we're happy you found it and hopefully found some others um, as well. So before we dive into how you got forced into polyamory or maybe the Dan Savage poly under duress. Um, yes. yes. The 
I guess, do you mind giving us a little bit of a background on who you are? Yeah. Who, who is Philip? Absolutely. So, um, I am, uh, I was, I was born in the South, raised in the Midwest, um, raised on a farm. So I, I don't look it at all and most people never guess it, but I'm just a farm boy at heart. Um, I am soon to turn 40, uh, which is not exciting. Um, <laughs> but, but, um, yeah, uh, a little about myself. So I grew up in a really conservative family, um, super religious. Uh, my parents actually grew up in an even more conservative, more religious uh, background. Some today may consider it a cult-ish. Um, but uh, yeah, and then I've been on this personal journey to express myself and discover who I am since then. Um, I've been somewhat of a serial monogamist most of my life. I go from one long-term relationship to another um, until this last one. And uh, yeah, that's a little about me. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks for being here again. And thanks for sharing all of that. Um, I guess I... I was just going to say, you don't look like you were raised on a farm and you don't look like you're about to turn 40. So well, well, yes. well done on that. So <laughs> Very <true>. congratulations. Thank <laughs> you. Um, <laughs> so yeah, go, go ahead, Emma. Sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, so I, I have so many questions, I'm sure, but I, I would love to do maybe an overview of your experience in non-monogamy and like where it, you said you had a religious up, upbringing. So I'm assuming nothing was modeled for you until somewhat more recently. So I, can you like kind of walk us through a high level version of your journey? Absolutely. So, um, I would say that I've been, I, I consider myself solo poly and I would say that I've uh, considered myself that for almost two years now. Um, the journey kind of high level, um, I fell in love with someone that, um, was much more of a, free thinker, progressive person than myself or anyone that I've been with before. And uh, I knew early on in that relationship that things were going to be different and I was going to have to think differently because um, in the beginning, uh, the very beginning, he was actually escorting. And so like, I knew that he believed in, and I think I'm going to, I hope I say this word right, autonomy. So like he controlled and owned his body and that, um, you know, he chose how to share that with me. So um, while our relationship did become monogamous pretty quickly after we started dating, I knew that it would, I at least had a feeling that it wouldn't remain that way. Um, that it, it would probably be um, somewhat fluid uh, because you know, he owned his body and it wasn't, it wasn't mine to claim. So, um, which was kind of a, a new concept to me because in my, you know, religious upbringing, it was always very, uh, was laid out very differently. Um, and then, uh, we had a, a great relationship, but as a result of my very religious upbringing, I've spent, a lot of my life, um, experiencing some shame and guilt around my sexuality. So, um, I wasn't a very great sexual partner and he had a much higher sex drive than myself. 
So um, we ended up opening it up one-sided only because he's more jealous than I. Um, and he would play in order to meet his needs. And um, I, uh, I did not. Um, and honestly, the, the depth of love that I have for him, I, I was pretty content. Um, I didn't really see a need for any change. And then he fell in love with his partner, his friend with benefits. And um, that was when I was forced into polyamory because it was like, if I was going to stay with him, I had to be okay with him dating someone else that just, there wasn't a question. So, but, but at the same time, I, sorry, I have like a lot of questions. Yeah, This was supposed to be an overview. I know. I know. <laughs> so my first, my first question was when, and this was maybe more just a semantics piece. Like you said, he was escorting. Um, but you had a monogamous relationship. Just curious, did you two consider his escorting work not to be non-monogamous just because it was like a work piece? When our relationship got to a point where we went from dating to being like officially together, he actually stopped escorting of okay. his own accord. I didn't sure. ask him to. It was of, of his own accord. Okay. I was just curious on that. And then um, – I found it just interesting, and maybe from your perspective, I'd be curious, like, he laid out early on, like, autonomy was a big thing for him, and so he was going to do with his body what he would like, but it sounds like you didn't have that same latitude, like, he was jealous, and so the relationship was only opened up on his side, so he could have the autonomy, but it sounds like you didn't. Correct. So... There are aspects of this relationship and this story that I think a lot of people will look at from the outside and think that um, it was unfair, one-sided, and that he may have, I don't know if take advantage of me is the right term, um, but I think that it is really important um, to understand that there's always two sides to everything. So while, while that is the case, um, I think it's important to recognize that, you know, I had my own set of issues and I was not a great partner in all aspects of our relationship. Um, and I felt a sense of responsibility to make sure that he met his needs. So it, it, I don't, I never felt like I was being cheated out of my do whatever, you know, like I, I didn't feel that way at all throughout the relationship. I, I allowed him to play even though he didn't want me to, because he wanted, he wanted to be intimate with me. And I wasn't doing a very good job of being intimate with him. I actually had a lot. I had a lot of issues. I had a lot of issues with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it sounds like, thank you for sharing that and, and kind of elaborating on that. And so it sounds also like maybe you weren't that interested in exploring outside of him. Like it wasn't that he was necessarily holding you back, but yeah, it wasn't quote unquote allowed, but you also weren't really seeking it or, or Correct. looking for it. Correct. I mean, we would both chat with people, mm -hmm. but he would play with people and I, I didn't. I didn't necessarily need to. If I had been given the permission, I probably would have 
on occasion, just because, you know, with some of the people I was chatting with, I built a connection with them. And the idea of exploring it was something that had I had the permission, I might would have done, but it wasn't something that I was necessarily seeking out and uh, wanting to do and feeling like I was being denied. Yeah. Right. That makes sense. And and I think too, you built, you, you kind of alluded to or said outright that like your religious upbringing created a lot of shame around your sexuality, maybe your sex drive. And it sounds like even maybe this non-monogamy piece when that kind of came up, I guess, do you mind digging into that a little bit for us? Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, I, I've always considered myself to be a very sex positive person. Um, I have friends that scatter the spectrum of, of the fetish world. And, um, and I've always celebrated their exploration and celebrated, um, you know, their sexual freedom. I never, never gave myself permission to feel like I too could explore it. Instead, it was like, I felt like I could celebrate somebody else's, but that I couldn't participate. And ironically enough, um, between my long-term relationships in those little, like they, they were typically somewhere between like three months and six months. I, I would consider myself a sex camel in those time periods. And I'll explain that (laughs) I would, I would go weeks with no sex and then like for one week or maybe even a couple of days, I would binge sex and then I would feel bad about it and I wouldn't have sex again for a while. And so, um, you know, I carried a lot of this, this shame around sexual freedom. I also called myself a secret slut because I wouldn't ever tell anyone and I would never like show my face before I would meet someone, which all of these things are so terrible. I mean, I mean, I guess it's not terrible. All of these things were unhealthy in the way in which I was experiencing them. Yeah. Sure. Sure. So, um, you know, I, I, that, that was, that's basically been most of my life. And, um, and then to like, add a twist to it. And the reason why my relationships have always been, um, my relationships have a, a history of, of being dysfunctional in the sexual aspect, because I fall in love with people for who they are and, and how they make me feel in life. I'm, I'm very attracted to people that, uh, are very inspirational, that are very educated, um, because I like to learn from someone. I like to connect with them, learn from them. I get inspired by them, um, not based on sexual preferences. And so every one of my long-term relationships have been with bottoms and I consider myself a bottom. So, you know, I'm generally really good at playing the top role for like six months to a year. And then after that, it's like, I just don't have the stamina to maintain that role. And, um, and I didn't have the, I didn't have the confidence in sex 
to be able to explore other ways of pleasing each other. Um, I, I had never been big on toys. I had never been creative in sex and in terms of just like, how can you work with each other to please each other? I was so vanilla that it was sad. It was, it's, it's sad and it's affected all of my relationships. Yeah. And I think, I mean, there's a lot in there. I think that it's. Yeah. Thank you for sharing all of that. Yeah. Like the, the. The piece about, like you said, like you fall in love with them for who they are and how they make you feel. But then after like six months or a year, like your needs start to creep back in and then it sort of shifts. And I, I just, I would disagree with that. Okay. I actually, it's, it's never been my needs that have destroyed my relationship in the end. It's my lack of performance, Mm -hmm. but I am the kind of person, and I think that's why once I really began to understand polyamory, I was, I've actually embraced it so much is that I was always someone that was able to love and appreciate someone for the role that they were able to play in my life without necessarily having to force them to be my everything. Mm -hmm. So I don't ever feel like it was my needs not being fulfilled that destroyed our relationship. I was always able to just stuff my needs like back in the closet somewhere and not worry about them. I also hadn't really ever had a great sex life. So sex wasn't the important part of my relationship. Sex was actually pretty meaningless in my relationship. For me, it was the day-to-day life. It was the hours that you spend together, the nights that you hold each other. That's what makes up the important part of my relationship. Sex was like, if I, I could jerk off in private to some porn if I need to satisfy myself. It, that, didn't, that was not a contributing factor to whether or not our relationship would go on. I would still be with my ex um, if he would let me, but he promoted me to best friend instead. I was going to ask you how that relationship, that was your first introduction to non-monogamy and you were kind of poly under duress for a little bit. Do you mind talking about how that relationship progressed and where you're at today? Absolutely. So it's a wild and weird road. Um, you know, uh, I, I call him my best friend soulmate. I think if soulmates exist, he definitely is mine. I cannot imagine my life without him. Um, we still talk every day. We see each other almost every day. Um, and, uh, as, as, as I was introduced to polyamory, it was because he had fallen in love with his friend with benefits. And I actually, while I, while I was not educating myself on poly, like I should have been, I knew that if our relationship were going to go long-term um, and we were together five years, um, if, if it were going to go on forever, I knew that it was something I was going to have to adapt to because, because of the way in which he finds his partners. Um, he's not the type of person that hooks up on a whim. 
Like he doesn't talk to someone and then 30 minutes later, he's like, okay, let's hook up. That's not him. Um, he's the type of person that needs some kind of an emotional connection to someone in order to be intimate with them. So he would often talk with people for months before he would meet up with them and they would start this, you know, sexual relationship. Um, so I knew that there was, I knew that it was going to happen at some point. This one did catch me by surprise, though, because I, while I knew that that was the inevitable, I, I never really prepared myself for it, and I didn't educate myself for it. Um, and he really connected with this individual quickly. Uh, they had incredible sexual chemistry. They also had um, just just great chemistry in general, in terms of um, you know connecting with each other on a on a mental and emotional level, and. When, when I was given that ultimatum of basically you're going to have to adapt to be poly or you can't be, you know, my partner anymore, um, I, I began to educate myself. Um, I read The Ethical Slut, which I actually think everyone should be required to read because of the way that it focuses on self-awareness communication and um and like understanding where your partner's coming from i think those are like three three key things that make a great great relationship um but i i, I started educating myself and i realized that there were so many things that i was already doing in my relationship the way in which i prioritized the connection the way in which i accepted uh, the relationship and how we how we provided for each other for exactly what it was without expectations of it being more or different. And so uh, once I had those realizations, I like I dove in. I was like, yes, I understand you know the the dynamics of polyamory and how it gives you the freedom to be able to make a connection with someone and value that connection for what it is because, if there's something missing in that connection that's not natural, you don't have to force that expectation. You can actually find that in another relationship and another connection with another person. And then that way, as long as everybody's needs are being met in the ways in which you can, then everybody's happy. As I'm on that journey over the course of like a year, my ex is on his own journey and we end up in this really weird twist where at the end of about a year, somewhere between a year and a year and a half, he is having his own realization that he's not as progressive as he thought he was. And he actually takes this hard conservative swing and that's that's actually why I was promoted to best friend. He realized that he needs um, one partner that is his everything. And he doesn't want to have multiple partners. And he doesn't want to have a partner that can't, you know, also make love to him and, um, and, and be his emotional support. And so... Um, we just totally flipped roles, <laughs> uh, totally flipped perspectives. And, um, and that's, that's how we landed where we're at right now. Yeah. Yeah. That's fascinating. And that's hard. It's super hard too. Cause, yeah. you, cause you did all of this work to, 
get to where you could be in that relationship and not you, you kind of undid all of the socialization that you had grown up with. So you could make that work. And then you got there and then he was like, Oh, now I'm Flip. flipping the tables. Like that's, that's really hard. I'll tell you though. So, I mean, I'm, I'm not at all going to lie and say that it was easy and it's still hard at times. Uh, the depth of love that I have for him is, is incredible. And, and, and it hasn't changed at all. I, I still love him as much as I did beforehand. Um, but while I may have started that journey because of him, I would say about halfway through, I continued on that journey for me and what I yeah. think it will do and how I feel that it will impact my life. So, and one of the things that, you know, I really appreciate about um, like the mindset that kind of goes hand in hand with polyamory is that when you learn to love someone for exactly who they are without your imposed expectations of what they're going to do for you or how they're going to meet your expectations, then when it comes to a, a turning point where it may not continue forever or, or the dynamic evolves into a friendship instead of, you know, a relationship, it does make it easier. I know, I know that sounds crazy, um, but it makes it easier to make that transition because it leaves you in a, in a mindset of celebrating what you had and celebrating what it gets to continue to be versus necessarily being sad about how it didn't meet your expectations. Oh, I'm tearing up. No, I think that's it's super powerful because, and it's a beautiful way to look at it because it's almost like trying to focus on the, the depth and the positivity that's come from that relationship and how, and feeling lucky that it gets to continue in whatever way it gets to continue. Um, well, and it was, I was going to ask, like, I think, and you touched on it here. So you've kind of answered the question already, but like you said, like you, you got promoted to best friend and you are still in love with this person and you see them every day and you you're still very connected, but like I could see for myself, like that would be really hard to be in love with somebody and see them every day. And it's just constantly there, but it's maybe not the relationship that you were hoping for, but you also yet got to a place where you just have accepted that and, and love it for what it is and cherish what it, the way it was and like celebrate it. And I think that's a really hard thing to do. And I'm impressed by that. I, I would have to say, I think the part that makes me sad um, is not that it the relationship isn't today what I thought that it would be or that I wanted it to be. The last three years of our relationship, we were not sexual at all. So essentially, our relationship has not changed at all. We still we we are still exactly the same thing. It just has a different title. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Where I get sad is when I didn't meet his expectations. And so he feels like the title or the dynamic of that relationship can't continue 
because I didn't meet his expectations. That makes me sad. What makes me sad is that, you know, I found someone that I love and adore and we're just not sexually compatible. Mm-hmm. And, and so it from, happens. Right. You know? And so from his point of view, because you're not sexually compatible, your relationship has gone down to a friendship. Mm-hmm. Well, even or though... I was going to say, that's exactly, as I was saying that, I was like, I don't think that should be down. Like that's, it's just transitioned into a different title. Well, but, but as you said though, Philip, like the, the semantics that like the, the day to day hasn't changed. It's really more a title. And so, but I think that is still hard to like have your title stripped when the role you play is the same as it was for five years or at least three of the five years. It, it, when, when the title first changed, that I think was the hardest, the hardest thing I've had to deal with through the whole journey. Because especially once I went through my understanding of polyamory, I was really able to celebrate what our relationship was and that I was able to kind of let go of the guilt that I had about not being able to be his everything. And I educated myself on polyamory. He had a very limited understanding of polyamory and he did not continue to educate himself. So like, as I grew into this, you know, elevated awareness and started to celebrate our relationship for what it was and thinking that, you know, based on, on my understanding of polyamory, like I, we're great. Like we can have this dynamic. We can let go of that expectation of sexual chemistry. And because I feel like polyamory is about connections. It's not necessarily about sex. It's about connections. So you can have an incredibly deep relationship and it doesn't have to have a sexual chemistry. It can just be about the connection you share with the individual. So for me, I was finally at this point where I'm celebrating what we have. I've let go of these expectations. And then, then all of a sudden there's there's twist. And so it was like, you know, that was really, really hard for me. Probably the hardest thing I had to deal with out of all of it. And, um, a guy that I was uh, kind of seeing, uh, I think we were only on like our third date or something. And I was telling him about my struggle with this title change. And he was like, he used a different verbiage. He said, well, you were just demoted to best friend. And the way in which he, he said it, it clipped for me. And I was like, you're right. Like, that's it. It's just a title change. Our, our lives aren't any different, you know? So I started saying that and he hated that. Um, so he, um, he was talking to a friend of his and kind of regurgitating the conversation we had had. And his, his friend was like, why did he say demotion? Friends are forever and relationships come and go. Like, it's a promotion. And when he came back and told me that, I was like, I'm going to take that. I'm going to take that. And I'm going to use that from now on. So yes. that's, that's how, that's why I refer to it as being promoted to best friend. So yeah, yeah. that made it a lot easier. That, that, that actually, it's so funny how just sometimes terminology, just words and, and saying them out loud can totally change the way you see something. Right. Well, because, you know, in more of 
traditional like relationships, if you're in a relationship and it ends, it often ends. And like, that's Mm -hmm. its cycle. And some people are able to stay friends after, but not, not all the time. And so when you're promoted to best friend, it's like almost more concrete in like the expectation that he he will be in your life for the long run. Mm -hmm. Um, And in that piece, I think it's beautiful and it's more, it's a much more positive way to look at it. Uh, And thanks for sharing that. It's really interesting the, that you, the way you, you two came to that. So yeah. yeah, yeah. So, how have you taken everything you learned and all of those experiences, and then use those to move yourself forward into your sort of journey beyond that? Yeah, beyond that relationship. So, my journey beyond that has been not I, not what I would have expected it to be, um, and it's it's been a little weird. So. Um, I feel like I've found myself in an educator role. Um, so I'm on every dating platform you can imagine, um, just about, uh, I've got all the apps, um, because now, now that I'm single, uh, I'm just, I'm out meeting people and I've met a lot of people. I'm having lots of conversations with lots of people, uh, Nothing is going anywhere with anybody, really, <laughs> sadly. But I, I get a lot of people asking questions about um, polyamory and my take on it, my experience with it. So I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like more in an educator role now on these platforms. Like I'm answering a lot of questions. I've gone on lots of first, second, and third dates. Nothing ever goes beyond that, um, which is that's okay. Dating is a numbers game anyway. You know, uh, finding somebody that you connect with is, is a numbers game. But um, I, I will say the most exciting part of the journey, though, is uh, I have been able to really work through a lot of my issues around sex. And now I can say that not only am I a sex positive person, but like I live a sex positive lifestyle. So I have learned in the last two years what good sex is, which I apparently have never experienced in my life um, until the last two years. So I've, I've been having great experiences. Nothing's really turning into a relationship, but um, at least, you know, I know that it's possible to have great sex and sometimes even multiple orgasms. So, so how did you, I'm just, now I've got to know, like, how did you, how did you discover this? Like how, like, cause I imagine there's people listening and like, well, I want to know, like maybe sex isn't that great for them. And it sounds like it wasn't for you and you've how made, you've that? made that shift. So how, how did you discover that? Well, first I'll say I've been in therapy for two years and I don't know how anybody makes it through life without a therapist. I have a great therapist. Um, we have worked through a lot of my issues. Um, you know, and I, <clears throat> a lot of it is just putting, putting yourself out there and um, really, really working through the internal dialogue, the audio that plays in our head um, and rewriting that. I, you know, I had for like, for like the last 
two years of our relationship, I struggled with even masturbation because I was so in my head that I couldn't maintain an erection. I don't know how much I'm supposed to go into in sex in this. this okay. You can I was say, like, how you much am I allowed you to want. say or not say? Okay. <laughs> so, anything you want. <laughs> okay, good. So um, I, I, for the last two years of our relationship, I couldn't hardly maintain an erection even for masturbation because I was so inside my head with this internal dialogue about whatever it was that I was either watching or thinking. And, um, and, and so like I, my, my sex life, my sex drive was basically non-existent. Um, and as, as I got into therapy and, um, we started working, working through my internal narrative, my internal dialogue, um, you know, I, I gave myself permission to explore. Um, I gave myself permission to try things that I, I've wanted to try and never felt like I had the freedom to explore. And as I tiptoed into those little things, you know, as, as brave as I could, I, I just, it it just kind of trickled that I slowly set myself free and I was, I was able to try and experience something a little more. And then, and then when I realized that, you know, that felt good, I would try a little more. I I'm into toys now. So my, my actual blooper is associated with that, which we'll get to at the end. Yes, we but, will. That's awesome. <laughs> but um, I've, I don't know. I, it, it's, it's really about the internal narrative. It's about rewriting and undoing, you know, those, um, that story that that's written in our minds at a young age and, and letting go of it one step, one word, one, one little piece of the story at a time. Mm-hmm. which is hard, right? Like just so people so are clear, hard. like that's not, that's not like, Oh, you just do it on a Wednesday and you're good on a Thursday. <laughs> right. No, it's a continual practice. And exactly. It's, it's ongoing. It's not like the words are ever just gone, but it's about when you hear them, you rewrite them, you know, and it's, a, it's, it's a constant and ongoing thing. It's just that it does get easier mm-hmm. to not hear them and and feel it on a deeply personal level the more that you rewrite that the more that you experience that like that voice becomes softer the shame that goes with it becomes less infectious you know and and then you're able to pick up that courage and and try a little bit more and and keep going yeah i'm curious how have you like, have you, how have your friends and family reacted, I guess, to the changes in yourself? Uh, have you, have you noticed that? Has that impacted you? Absolutely. Um, so there's like a couple things. My friends are great, but I have very sex positive friends. Um, we've got one friend that we say he has a fast pass at the STD clinic, not because he's got a lot of STDs, but because he's very sexual. So he's very on top of being sure of, of his sexual health. So he Mm -hmm. goes like clockwork to make sure that he's always aware and always in the know. Um, so it's, it's not for them. They're, they like, they're celebrating my journey. Nothing, nothing scary there. Um, on my family side, my family's totally aware of my journey as well. Um, 
all all of my family, all of my immediate family, not like my distant aunts, Mm -hmm. uncles, cousins, grandparents, stuff like that. But like my parents and my siblings all know, they know I'm poly. They know that I'm like living my sex positive life, but I have put my family through the ringer in shock treatment throughout my life. I've had a crazy wild life. And in turn, I, I say that saying that, um, you know, I also grew up really conservative, but I've, my journey to know myself has been a roller coaster. And so I have, I've put them through the shock treatment that that was like, Oh, good for you. I'm glad you're trying something new was kind of their response. Like didn't face <laughs> you, can, you have conditioned them enough over the last many oh, yeah. years. <laughs> oh yeah. So now I'm curious because I know there's probably a lot of people out there who are like, maybe, you know, maybe there's somebody else who's struggling with sexuality and their family and conservatism and all of these things. It sounds like you broke your family of that. You you just like destroyed them and, and ripped that out of them. How, how, like, how did you do that? Like you said, it was a crazy journey and you put them through the ringer. Like maybe that's what more people need to do. So when I say it was very conservative, um, like by age 14, I was leading children's church at my church. And by 15, I was um, training to be a youth minister. And then by 16, I was coming out of the closet with rainbow chiffon coming out of my ass kind of thing. Like I was just, it it hit me like, uh, like a rocket and I was transforming to a unicorn. Um, so, um, I, when, when that, that, that happened, um, when I, I had, I had always known that I liked guys, but I just was in, in my mind, it was like, everybody loves their best friend and they have their girlfriend. And then the first time that a girl kissed me at 16, I was like, whoa, I don't, I don't want that. And so then it was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Maybe this, this understanding of how the world works isn't right. And so I started to like, think about my feelings. And I was like, no, I guess this love that I share for my best friend that I've always thought was just like how you love your best friend. Maybe it's because I'm, I actually love my best friend and like, I be with my best friend. And so I spent two weeks going to every church in the city that was experiencing a revival. And I would go to the altar and I would pray that God would take that away. And after two weeks, I vividly remember this last day And I had cried my eyes out for like two weeks, almost every night at these different churches, thinking that because this was a revival and the spirit of God was supposed to physically be there, that he had, he wasn't listening and he wasn't taking it away. And I was like, I, I can't commit my life to a God and a religion that's going to make me feel like I'm broken or wrong. And I refuse to not be myself. So I said goodbye to God and I walked out of that church and then I came out of the closet with flying colors and I never looked back and I shocked my parents. Um, I had to move out. um, And 
Um, at, at 16 or 17? Yeah. 16. Wow. Yeah. Um, so I'm all my brother, I'm the youngest. All my brothers had all been kicked out at like 15 or 16 anyway. Whenever we broke some rule, my stepmom would boot us. And my brothers, my oldest brother had a gun when he wasn't supposed to, so or smoked pot or something like that. So he was out. And then my the middle brother had been masturbating and got caught. So he was out. Um, so then I came out of the closet. I was out. And um, well, at least you had roommates you could go live with. It sounds like <laughs> right. <laughs> not um, to make, not to make light of a shitty situation. I'm sorry. <laughs> I will tell you, um, I I'll never forget the first person I came out to was my oldest brother. And I, I know this doesn't really go with the theme of your podcast, but I, I want to share. No, it anyway, no, it's, it's perfect. It it's perfect. Yeah. Uh, I came out to my oldest brother and um, I don't know why I knew he would be the right person to come out to, but he was, you know, he smoked pot. He was super chill, laid back, easygoing country boy. And, um, and I, I told him and he looked at me and he was like, well, I always told you you were a faggot. Do you want a beer? And I know that sounds terrible, but like, if you under, understand like the dynamic of our family, he had always picked on me for being gay. Never like he was saying it in a negative way, but you know how brothers rip on you kind of thing. Um, it was the best thing he could have ever said to me because to say it with those words and that carefree attitude, it absolutely made me feel like it's okay. Yeah. It's okay. The fact that he offered you a beer and just kind of moved on, like it's not a big deal. Like it is what it is. Yeah. And he's, he's, always been an advocate for me. My senior prom, um, I went with a guy and I was the first guy in my school. I was the first guy to come out while in high school. And I was the first guy to take a guy to prom. And I had so many threats and he and his friends came and watched my car to make sure that my car didn't get broken into and to watch me walk into the, 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 into the dance and to watch me walk out of the dance so that they knew I was safe. Wow. I thought that was really sweet. That is really sweet. Yeah. yeah you had people that had your back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's shitty that that has to happen, but it's amazing that, that, that he was there for you and that, and that they were there for you. Yeah. I feel like I might have gotten off track of the question that was, <laughs> Oh, how I shocked my parents. Yes. So then, then later in life, I, I, um, go through an identity crisis because I'm trying to figure out who I am. And, um, at the time I was also doing drag. I'm a relatively artistic, creative person. And that was an outlet to do, to, to explore that. And, um, I was also having some issues with a drug addiction. And I think the drug addiction fueled by kind of this identity crisis, I found, strength in my alter ego in drag it was easier for me to pretend to be her than it was for me to dig into who I was Mm -hmm. because I was experiencing insecurities and um and shame and and she was strong uh flirtatious um you know outspoken, outgoing. So I, I thought I was transgendered 
for about two years and actually began the process of transitioning. And once I started to see physical changes in my body, it was like, my brain was like, no, 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 hold the brakes. You're not trans. What are you doing? And uh, so my, my family also went through two years of me being two years of me transitioning. Um, so like I said, I put them through all the shock treatment. Um, (laughs) but I, I, I pulled back on that, stopped that took, um, took like two years to really explore myself and figure out who I am. Got clean in those two years because my drug addiction quite literally nearly killed me. And, um, came out stronger on the other side. So. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Thank you again for sharing all of that too. Like it's, it's also, I think it's amazing how it shows that you are someone that obviously works on yourself a lot and works to understand yourself and grow and push yourself. And the fact that you were exploring, in those feelings of possible, like thinking you were a transgender, starting to transition, then pulling back and being confident enough in yourself to pull back too. Like it's, it's amazing. And, um, I don't know where I was going with that other than like commenting the, on how, like, thank you for sharing that. It is, it feels powerful to recognize the strength in that you have to work on yourself and to, figure out who you are and what is important to you and how to, I guess, live your best life. You know, that's, that is a always, that, that is a, a a constant, um, work in progress because I think, um, you know, we're all the product of our experiences. So our, our values, evolve and change our priorities evolve and change over time so i think the the roadmap to what is your best life is also always changing because your best life that picture at the end might be evolving over time too so um i i I, yeah thank you you're welcome yeah and i think what what you just said there is going to destroy my next question, but I'm going to ask it anyway, um, because my question was basically going to be kind of around like, what is it that you see or what would you maybe like to see like your relationship dynamics look like moving forward? And you basically just said like, well, that's always ever changing, but I guess maybe for, for now, like besides being uh, an educator on, all of the dating apps. What are you, what are you hoping to get out of it? (laughs) Hopefully a couple of lasting connections. Um, I know you typically ask in, you know, poly people on your show, like, what is your ratio? Like what's your, what's your perfect number or whatever. I, I don't know that I have a perfect number. Um, I think that because I haven't had an opportunity yet to, to actually have more than one, real relationship at a time. Um, I think that for me right now, I'm focused on making connections. I think that it's important for me that whatever the number is, it's, it's an, I'm able to meet the needs of those people without putting myself in distress. So 
Like, I don't, I don't know that I would explore more than two. I mean, I might, if I had a great connection, I've, you know, it's interesting because there's a, there's a guy that I'm talking to right now. Um, Things seem pretty cool with because he's asking lots of questions and he hasn't like stopped responding yet. So like, that's good. Um, And uh, he, he asked the same question and then like really dug into it. And, you know, in that conversation, my train of thought was, I, I think that I could entertain more than two relationships if they weren't like all in the same city. You know, like if I had a connection with someone that lived somewhere else and we visited each other, you know, a couple of times a year, talked regularly, there was a connection where we felt like we inspired each other. I could totally like that. That would be an addition that would be welcome. Um, I really don't. I don't know. I don't know what that perfect picture looks like. I know that right now what I what I desire is is a connection. One more than one. I don't know. See where it yeah. goes. Yeah. So I was going to push you on something because, you, <laughs> because why not? Um, you said that what you want is to be able to meet their needs. But I think the other piece that you've said a few times is that as you read the ethical slot and did all this research, that you recognize that you don't have to meet all of somebody's needs. And I think maybe kind of if you could explain like the, the, the clash there, maybe the, the dichotomy between those two. Correct. So I guess when I say meet their needs, I mean like meet the needs that are agreed upon as necessary for our relationship to be healthy. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't expect that every connection that I have is going to meet all of my needs. What I'll expect is that where, whatever it is that we're connected on, I may have, you know, it, it may be, It may be where I have a great sexual connection with someone, but we don't necessarily inspire each other mentally. You know, it might not be something where we want to watch documentaries together or, you know, talk for hours over a bottle of wine, but we might have incredible sexual chemistry and want to foster that. So I may have a partner that has you know, another partner that connects with them on that mental and emotional. And we may just have an ongoing sexual relationship that is great. And and that fulfills our needs because that's the, that's the connection and what it's based off of. I may have somebody that, you know, inspires me mentally and, and uh, emotionally. And so if that's where our connection is built and that's where we focus what it is that our needs are on, then as long as we're meeting those needs, then that's great. I, it's not to say that they have to fulfill all of my needs, but the needs that are based around that connection, as long as those are met, where we yeah. feel like we're being honest, transparent, and, and available when, when the expectation is there. So, yeah, mm-hmm. no, it's perfect. And I, I appreciate it. Cause I kind of had a feeling, but I wanted, I was just, cause that has been sort of a recurring theme. And I, you also kind of touched on it in your answer. One of my other questions was going to be like, now that you've determined what, what for you, great sex is, is that a requirement for all of your relationships? And it sounds like it's not, it's just, <sighs> if that's what the relationship has then it does and if it doesn't it doesn't and i I love that too so thank you i will tell you i'm being much more forward about sex though in my conversations because i don't want all of my relationships to just be emotional 
I would love to have a relationship that combines, you know, great sex with an emotional connection. Um, that would, that would be great to experience. Um, so I'm being much more forward about it, but yeah. Yeah. I have an impossible question now too. Um, (laughs) if you were to meet somebody and they, you felt they met all of your needs, do you think you would still be interested in meeting or looking for other partners? I, I don't have any expectation that I will find someone that meets all of my needs. If that happens, I could definitely be open to have, I'm sorry, that's my cat's tail. (laughs) She's she's perched in the window right now and that's her tail. I'm sorry. Um, I, I, I'm open to conversations. Um, I'm, I'm open to, to exploring things. I, I have, I just, I have, I, I have my reservations about whether or not I will find that one person that meets all the needs and total transparency. While my title may have changed with my partner, I don't necessarily change. I don't share that title change with anybody else that I'm talking to as far as our initial conversations go. I have another partner because it is important for me that they recognize just what kind of a presence he has in my life. Because while we might just be friends by title, the presence that he has, that he takes up in my life is like a partner. And for anybody else that walks in, it's going to feel like I'm in a poly dynamic. So I, I think it would be hard. I think I'd be hard pressed to find some, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with that, but like, I, I just, I don't, I don't know that it, I think whoever I find that's going to be comfortable with that kind of a presence is going to be somebody that's comfortable with a poly dynamic. And, and I don't know, that's where I'm going with that. No, I think it's it's super important and like that you disclose that outward is pretty powerful as well, right? Because like, I think, yeah, like if I was to say, let's say I met another person I was interested in and they spent all of this time with this person, then I found out this person was their ex, but that they still are basically in love with their ex and for them, the relationship hasn't changed. I'd be like, so, okay, yeah, you're still in a relationship with them. Like right? they may say you're not, but. Mm-hmm. by all like measures you really are. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, I think finding somebody that's okay with that on the get go is critical. So I, that's uh, super important. Appreciate that. I typically, I get this, I get this question or maybe it's a statement. Like it, it can be posed as a question or a statement. I get this a lot and it's usually a red flag for me. Um, I'll be talking to someone and they'll be very inquisitive about polyamory seems super cool with it. And then at some point they're like, I just think you haven't met the one yet. Or I think maybe you just haven't met the right one yet. And I'm like, you think you're the first person to say that to me? No. And <laughs> right. I don't think that's, it's, it's not that simple. Yeah. No. Yeah. I think that's a red flag for a lot of people who are in this space. So you're not alone there. Yeah, for sure. totally. Um, yeah. Um, I wanted to, do you have any other questions? I was, I'm curious about the blooper that you talked about. <laughs> so, 
So my ex and I, um, we are, we live in two separate apartments. We're on the leases of both people's apartments because we were going to be moving into this one together. And then that was kind of like a, a pivotal moment where we were like, we have an opportunity to like live in our own spaces and maybe see how that goes. This was before the change in title. Um, and so we, we were on both leases. He's just continued to stay there. I I'm here. Um, but we have keys to each other's places. And, um, I am, I've always been, you know, for most of our relationship, I was super boring person in terms of like not spontaneous. I also wasn't sexual. So there was never any fear that he was going to like walk on in on me doing anything. And so, um, you know, as the initial part of under like exploring my sexuality, sexual freedom, um, I learned, I, it was important to me to learn my body and learn what felt good so that then I would know how to be with someone else and know how to ask for what I needed. Like that was another thing that had always been foreign to me. For me, it was always about making sure that the other person had an orgasm, but like, what about mine? So, you know, it was important for me to learn that. So I, I bought a toy and, um, you know, bottoming is different than topping. It, it's uses all different kinds of nerve endings. Uh, it takes, you know, mental concentration to relax, like things like that. So my initial toy was very small. Um, and then I bought this aspirational toy, which like, when I say very small, so like the first toy was way smaller than the statistical average size because like mm -hmm. I started very small. So then this next one was like slightly larger than the average size of a male. And I'm like, I'm just going to work my way up to this. I'll start with the tip, you know? Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm on my bed and the way that my apartment's set up, like if you walk through the front door and you look directly to the right, you can look right onto the bed. And so, um, I'm on my bed and I've just started to like ease down on the toy and all of a sudden I hear the keys in my front door, like jingle and the door whips open and I spin around to like see who's coming in my door because I was, you know, just caught off guard, fall on the toy and impale myself. And he is standing there looking at me like, oh, <laughs> uh, he turns around walks out and I like fall off the toy frozen because I've just impaled myself, which was way larger than I had expected, you know, way more than I had expected to take in that moment. Um, yeah, that was, that was it. Yeah. That's pretty much that, that's the <laughs> moment. of. The toy. By the way, I got used to that toy real fast. So <laughs> that's one way to do it. Yeah, Try I was gonna say. Yeah. <laughs> Trial by fire, I guess. Just do it. Yeah. Just, just do it. Just do it. I actually don't recommend that. It is important no. to work your way up. You can hurt yourself. I luckily yes. did not because even the aspirational toy was probably still kind of small compared to what some people can take. But you know, we all start somewhere. So yeah, very good caveat to that, but uh, yeah. And at least it was at least it was him, the, your partner that. Oh, had, thank God! Because when when that happened, I was thinking because I 
sometimes the property managers will like check on apartments. And, and I was like, oh my God, is the property manager about to walk in my apartment? I was, I, I had no idea what was going because I was just not thinking that anybody was going to be walking in my front door. Right. That's so, a fair assumption. Yeah. I would yeah. say, to be honest, um, that's reasonable. <laughs> <laughs> and now it's a good story between you two. <laughs> oh yeah. He laughs about it all the time, all the time. We share it among friends when it's appropriate, which you'd be surprised how often that's appropriate in my friend yeah, group. So. <laughs> Over brunch, whatever. No worries. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Uh, it sounds like we run in similar friend, friend group. <laughs> um, oh, boy. Uh, well, we wanted to also give you the opportunity to share anything else that we didn't cover in the episode and in, in the discussion. Uh, that you want to get out into the world? Um, I don't know. Um, you know, I think I, 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 if, if I'm going to say anything else, it would be, I mean, I guess like words of advice or words of wisdom or something, just, you know, whatever it is that you're, you're feeling or experiencing or wanting to explore, you're probably not alone. Um, I think that there is nothing more valuable than seeking out others that have those feelings, thoughts, um, ideas, and educating yourself. And I think it's also equally important that the people that are around us in our relationships, um, we are all the product of our own experiences. So being patient and understanding of where they're at, if they don't necessarily see your point of view yet. Um, or if they don't understand your ideas, like just being patient and understanding, I think that that helps both people go much further in life. So I don't know. That's all. I think that's all I've got. Yeah. I appreciate that for sure. And then like one thing I did want to pick out maybe just a tiny bit was you've done a whole lot of work. Um, and you've mentioned a couple of the resources, but like, do you, what are some of the, the resources you found along the way that helped you like get to where you are from where you were? Besides ethical slut and a good therapist. Those, those are the ones oh, you said so far. <laughs> ethical slut, a good therapist, and a lot of podcasts. I have listened to a lot of podcasts. I've listened to a lot of interviews. Um, there's one interview in particular, and I, went back to try and find it. Um, and I couldn't find it. I actually follow her on Instagram too, because she, she talked about her Instagram on that interview and, um, I couldn't find it cause I follow a whole lot of people on Instagram and I couldn't remember what her username was. I can't remember what her name is. Um, but this was like two years ago, year and a half ago when I found that, but, um, you know, it's, we all speak and communicate differently. So sometimes you listen to an interview on a podcast and it doesn't resonate with you, you know? And I think it's important that you keep listening because you're going to find somebody that has a way of speaking or a story, their, their story that clicks, connects, resonates with you. And it, and it helps you see things differently. And I think that that it is vitally important that we educate ourselves and, you know, just hearing somebody else's story is educating ourselves, you know? So mm -hmm. I, I think that that that's been the, the biggest thing for me that's really helped me. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, were there any other, I mean, besides our show, were there any podcasts that have stuck out? I know you said you there was one you were trying to find, but like, was there any that came to mind that you wanted to share? If not, it's okay. I was just curious. And then also wanted to give you a chance to talk about your podcast, which is yes. coming up soon. So that's exciting as well. Yeah. So honestly, I've jumped around a lot through a lot of different ones, especially as I was trying to find some that I felt um, really resonated with me. And I I found it hard to find um, podcasts that were really geared towards polyamory. Um, One of the things that I really liked about your podcast is that you cover such a spectrum. So yours has been the most consistent podcast that I've listened to. Um, I've listened to others kind of here and there, and sometimes I'll just find like the one, the one that I listened to the interview that was really pivotal for me that kind of like pushed me to continue listening to podcasts. It wasn't a poly, it wasn't even like a sexual podcast. It was a, uh, it was totally different than that, but this was happened to be a friend of hers that she really liked that then just shared her story on it. And it be, kind of became, because at the time that I, I looked at it, it was, um, that I'd listened to it. I'd actually heard about it through someone else. So like it was, it was making ripples as being mm-hmm. really, you know, progressive interview. Um, but yeah, no, that's, Awesome. I don't really have one that I listen to consistently. So Perfect. To That's okay. Well, like and yeah. yeah. How about your show? Do you mind talking a little bit about that? Absolutely. So since I have been listening to podcasts and, you know, I jump around a lot, um, I kind of decided, and it was, I was on a road trip one day driving, listening to podcasts back to back. And I was like, I feel like this would be fun. I was like, I feel like, having a voice and sharing my experiences and, and, and having guests that shared their experiences would be great. And then I started thinking about it and I was like, if I were going to do one, I want to do one where I feel like I'm trying to, to fill a void in this, you know, area. And one of the things that I had wished early on was that I had one, I, I had, I had somewhere where I could ask questions, specific questions, especially early, early on when everything seemed so for, foreign. Um, so I started thinking about Dear Abby and I was like, I'm going to do Dear Polly, where it's like a take on Dear Abby, like an advice column, so to speak. So people can have a place where they can reach out regarding a topic or a concern or, or a specific question. And me and somebody else, um, you know, rotating out guests can give our, our experience or, you know, our thoughts on those and, and maybe, you know, help give people a different perspective. So, yeah. Well, that's exciting. Super, super exciting. And I love the idea. Uh, Right now, you haven't launched the show yet, but it's coming soon. Correct. Right now, I'm just taking in questions and stuff so that I can kind of start to plan out um, how I'm going to roll those questions out in in you know a podcast format. I'm lining up guests to be on it, so definitely check out the Instagram, um, Dear Polly Podcast on Instagram, and you can um, submit questions, comments, concerns, whatever you would like us to talk about, cover. So yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, links to everything will be in the show notes um, so people can find you and reach out and we encourage them to do so. Yes. And we're just, we're excited to have talked to you today. Um, and thank you for reaching out and sharing everything. It's been a 
fantastic discussion. Yes, thank you so much and have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you so much. And we're back. Thank you so much, Philip, for reaching out to us and wanting to come on the show and share your story. It was wonderful to talk to you, and we're so excited to get this story out there. And to get people coming your way for your podcast. So thank you for that work. Uh, We know how much work it is to pump out a podcast. So thank you for doing that. And as Emma said, thank you for coming on and sharing with us. Yes. We wanted to just do a quick reminder about our Patreon community. Again, thank you so much to the over 160, 170 people that are part of that community now. It is amazing and we're honored. So thank you. A few quick notes about that. We do have a women's group, a men's group. We have a MeWe chat that is open to everyone that's part of the group there. And it's a a fantastic and supportive community. We also do a monthly virtual Q&A, which turns into a really amazing discussion each month. Um, So our next virtual Q&A or video Q&A is June 10th. That's a Thursday. We also have a men's group call on June 7th and a women's group call on June 9th, as I said in the intro to this episode. So again, all of that information is on our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. Click on the Patreon tab and you'll find out more. Uh, We'd love to have you come join us. And just like a little tip, Again, you can come join us, try it out. If you don't like it, that's totally fine. You don't have to say, we won't be offended. But we'd love to have you come join and check it out. Yeah, and just as Emma said, like we've found a lot and we've gotten a lot out of this community. And so I wanted to say a personal thank you to everybody in it for being there for us. Um, we, we've leaned on the community just like just like the rest of you. So thank you. Yes. It's been huge. It's a very, very good point. And one final thing before we uh, head out today is just to remind everybody that if you're starting to meet people again in the real world, uh, we highly encourage you to go get tested for STIs before you start mixing and mingling. Uh, the way that we do this is a website and a service called stdcheck.com. They are an affiliate of the show, so using the links um, on our website does support the show and we greatly appreciate it, not only for the financial support, but for the support of uh, being aware of your sexual health and having those conversations. So it's, again, as we said, the service we use, it's super easy. It's really affordable. It's like 130 bucks uh, to do a 10 panel test. And I don't know, we love the service. Uh, Check it out. Um, head over to our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. Click on the resources tab and there'll be links there that explain how to use it and all of the amazing benefits of it and get you that $10 discount. Yes. So thank you in advance for that. We appreciate it. And next week, we've got an awesome, awesome interview with Jamie. Yes. You're not going to want to miss this one. As always, come check it out. And again, our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. All of the information that you'll ever need is there. Right? Yes. Everything. Everything you could (laughs) ever want. Bye, everyone. Thank you for listening.